and welcome to the Investment Week podcast for February, where we analyse the biggest investment news stories and speak to leading investors about the most important issues on their minds. I'm your host, Hannah Smith. I'm the Deputy Editor of Investment Week. Investment Week has been the premier publication serving professional investors in the UK since 1995. You can find out more about us by visiting www.investmentweek.co.uk. So today we're talking about fund fashions. Investment Week celebrated its 20th anniversary this year, so we thought it would be interesting to look at the types of funds which have been in fashion during some of that time at least, and how investors can tell the difference between a fad fund and the successful fund of the future. So joining us today is Adrian Lowcock, who's the Head of Investing at AXA Wealth. Thanks for joining us, Adrian. Now, I don't have 20 years in the industry, um, but I do have a few, and some funds which stand out for me in particular that we've seen emerging in recent years have been 13030 funds, which have kind of become a, well, they seem to have morphed into the new breed of absolute return funds that we're seeing today. And also the Africa funds, which perhaps hit their peak when Newstar launched the Heart of Africa fund in 2007, uh, which was heavily marketed to ordinary investors, which perhaps was something of a mistake. But Adrian, what, what kind of funds can you remember, uh, which perhaps didn't quite turn out as well as the uh, providers may have hoped? I think most recently uh, we saw a, a few funds launch that were sort of active light. So there were low co- low cost charges. There were sort of core funds that were trying to be Tracker Plus, um, and they didn't really last too long. And I think this was a, uh, a reaction to uh, sort of changes in the markets and introduction legislation of RDR. Going back further, we saw funds like um, looking for Middle East and Africa funds, as you mentioned, um, and then things like the BRIC funds or Civits or Mints or whatever the most recent terminology is, the next 11. Those sort of funds have been quite trendy and quite popular over the years. And in some instances, they've actually been quite successful and and well marketed and and well received by investors. Do you think they've been successful in terms of performance as well as maybe successful in gathering assets? Uh, I think in terms of uh, things like the BRIC funds, um, it's so heavily down to the, the the performance in those countries because they're quite volatile. Uh, they have been reasonably successful in gathering assets and I think periods of performance. That's probably one of the key factors to consider is really, you know, what is what is the fund going to do? Is it going to deliver performance? And I think with the uh, uh, sort of Tracker Plus funds, it, it didn't make too much sense to have a, a sort of slightly lower active management fee but what on the surface looked like a cap on actual potential performance very close to the tracker maybe plus one maybe plus two percent but nothing more why pay an active management fee for that extra little bit of value and I think that's where uh, those funds sort of struggled in in being appealing to the mass markets. And so uh, looking forward I think we're seeing some quite interesting funds coming out now um, outcome oriented sort of funds which are aiming to do a particular meet a particular lifestyle need maybe um, even thematic funds, litigation funds. Um, I've seen a, a divorce fund somebody, uh, someone launched. I don't know how successful that will be, but um, they're quite inventive. Are there any sort of interesting funds that you can think of in particular? And, and how would you advise maybe an investor to, to be able to distinguish between what's a fad fund and what's going to be a really good idea? Well, at the moment, we've got uh, funds in uh, frontier markets. We've got uh, the, uh, pre- uh, the the follow-ons from uh, the BRIC funds, so the civets, the mints, that sort of thing. And and some of those are fads, uh, but fads in themselves aren't necessarily a bad thing because you can invest in them for the medium and longer term. And if that fad develops to be a mainstream theme, 
then it's a success. It could be a successful investment. Uh, I think other other funds, and particularly around retirement, I think we're going to see a lot more in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the the pension freedoms that we're going to see in April are really going to require solutions. Um, what tends to be very popular is is one-stop solutions because there's an all area of the market that requires uh, of clients and investors that require advice and such a broad market and broad spectrum of types of people and investors they some are going to want one-stop solutions some are going to want lifestyle funds where they help you through your life state different stages of your life and target dated funds and that sort of thing and i think we're going to see an increasing number of those types of solutions as well as perhaps more practical solu- uh, planning solutions that use funds to deliver that i think you're right there would you say maybe is there a gap anywhere in the market for a kind of fund that you'd like to be able to include in client portfolios that maybe are harder to find at the moment? Uh, I think one of the areas that's still challenging for the UK is actually the US active managed funds. Um, there are plenty around. There's been a bit of a, uh, a lack of uh, good retail funds that are available. And one of the challenges is actually getting good US managers who would want to sort of market to the retail market in the UK because if they're successful in the US, they've got a massive US market, then they've got a massive institutional market in Europe. The UK retail investor is relatively small, so it's very difficult to get access to some of these funds because the market is quite small. Uh, Equity income, I think that's something we've started to see spread out. We've got Asian funds, we've got European income funds, um, but there's still areas in the US, Japan, where it's not quite developed, and I think I'd like to see more of that area. Great. Thanks very much for those thoughts, Adrian. We have another view now from someone who's very close to the product development side of things, explaining how his firm tries to respond to what customers really want when deciding which funds make it from the design stage to the marketplace. Joining me is Chris Jackson, who is the head of UK retail at Natixis Global Asset Management. Thanks a lot for joining us, Chris. Um, So I wanted to ask you, what kind of feedback have you been getting from the intermediary market um, in terms of product? Because uh, obviously the UK is a very saturated market. Um, What kind of demand is there for new products out there at the moment and what kind of things are people looking for? We've had uh, a lot of feedback from the market um, and I think we're getting particularly good insight from one of our teams that we run within the Tixis Global Asset Management. We have a, a portfolio research and consulting team who work with our sales guys with intermediaries to do portfolio evaluations on the way that those intermediaries are constructing their overall portfolios for their clients. Um, and that gives us some tremendous insights into some of the trends within the market today. So, for example, Um, This is not necessarily a big new insight, but there is definitely a polarisation between alpha and beta portfolios. Um, That's led us to to work on product development in that smart beta area to try and bring something new to the marketplace. Um, We've also seen what perhaps is um, a new insight to us, the fact that in income portfolios, very often there is a very high correlation between the, the funds that are put into those portfolios. So there might be good Um, fund manager diversification, but actually um, often the very same economic interest underneath uh, in terms of the way the strategies gain their returns. So we've set about um, looking hard at trying to find um, income solutions that are uncorrelated to most of the funds that are constructed within those uh, portfolios. Now it's time for our news segment, where we discuss some of the stories which have been making headlines lately and what they might mean for investors. I'm joined by Investment Week's Deputy News Editor, Anna Fedorova. 
So Anna, the Investment Association has once again proposed an overhaul of its fund sectors, one of several that we've seen over the last few years. And this time the changes are a way to accommodate the increasing number of risk-rated funds appearing in the marketplace. What is the IA actually suggesting this time? Yes, so the, this time the Investment Association is looking at the so-called outcome-focused products or, or, or solution-based products because the, the number of these products has been growing so quickly over the past few years. Um, so it's got two options um, under consideration, one of which would be just to launch a new sector to, to accommodate this product. The other is a slightly a more difficult task, which would be to um, reorganize the whole sector structure to basically divide it into these sort of outcome based solutions and the rest of the funds that it's already got in its sectors. And the thing that, that spurred all of this um, is basically the, the fact that the, the number of these outcome focused solutions, and they're all known under different names, so multi-asset, asset allocation, risk targeted and so on, has grown to nearly 200 um, and they're all basically stuck in the unclassified sector and they've got about 30 billion pounds in um, assets under management altogether. Um, So it's becoming a bit of a problem. Now, we did our own research in August when we wrote a story about this. And um, we found that the number of funds in the unclassified sector at that point was 481. And um, over the year to the date when we did our research, 53 new, new funds joined that sector. The previous year, it was just 22. And the year before that, it was 10. So it's definitely multiplying. And why is that a problem then having so many of those funds in the unclassified sector? So the managers of these funds are obviously unhappy because it's becoming more and more difficult for investors to be able to compare like with like and to decide which fund is outperforming because the unclassified sector is just a mixture of random things. So the pressure's actually been coming from the management groups to create something that would help them to to sit alongside their peers. So what kind of, obviously you said that the the pressure is coming from the fund managers to make these changes. So the initial feedback on what the Investment Association has suggested, is that broadly positive then? Uh, Well, yes, I think people are happy that they're looking at um, at this problem because the the calls have been there for probably over a year. Um, From from some people that we interviewed for for a previous story, I'd heard that it was sort of three years in the making that people were asking for something something to change. So I think it's broadly positive that um, they're looking at this, but people have highlighted a number of problems to me. For example, I've spoken to people who've said that it'd be difficult to to compare these funds just because their benchmarks are different to normal funds that benchmark themselves against an index because they all have their own sort of benchmarks that they set within the fund. And the other option is sort of looking at the volatility um, of the fund and comparing this volatility perhaps historically to the volatility of an index. Um, Now, this is something that FE Trustnet have done. Um, They launched their risk-rated multi-asset sectors last year, and it's been broadly positively received. So maybe that's something that the Investment Association can do as well. I mean, another issue as well is the fact that some asset managers feel that the actual sectors that are there at the moment may not be accommodating both wealth managers and retail investors in the same way. So for example, I've recently spoken to Premier Asset Management who have said that it it might actually be better for the Investment Association to even divide um, the sectors altogether into uh, ones that are more suited to the, the wealth manager type of investors and ones that are more suited to the retail investors that look at different things. And separately, of course, there's the issue of um, these multi-asset 
solution-based funds all having different names. So it might actually be something that the Investment Association needs to look at as well, these kind of uh, different labels that they all have and how they all fit under one sector. It certainly seems like they do need to do some more work to make things a bit clearer for end investors. Well, I think that's all we have time for for today. Uh, we'd love to hear any feedback that you have on this uh, podcast. And if there's any particular topics that you'd like us to cover in the future, you can email me at hannah.smith at incisivemedia.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.